Welcome to the RazorWire podcast, where we discuss all things in the information security and cybersecurity world. From current events and trends, through to commentary from experts in the field, providing vital advisory on what it is to work in the information security and cybersecurity space. Hello, welcome to another edition of RazorWire. Today, we are going to be talking about legislation, compliance, regulation, all things that we're seeing a lot more now in the information security field, the business world, the European Union's talking about it. And I have two fantastic individuals who have come back yet again to entertain and give us their opinions on exactly what's going on. So first and foremost, let's go over to Josh. Josh, do you want to just uh, reintroduce yourself to the people out there? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, James. So um, Josh Davis, working uh, for Fortra, or specifically the Alert Logic MDR, My Detection Response and WAF uh, unit. Formerly was a security analyst, which is usually why I get invited onto these types of things to talk about what I used to do in incident response and threat hunting and so on. But probably got a little bit of a different bit of expertise on this because I actually studied law at university and looked to go into that beforehand. So um, this is where those two things kind of meet. Fantastic. And Keith? My name is Keith Christie-Smith, so I work for an organization called Clarity. I'm a sales director and cover the UK, Ireland, um, and the Middle East, selling our suite of operational technology and medical device and cybersecurity solutions into, into the market, so healthcare, as well as various other verticals and OT flavor, so critical national infrastructure, oil and gas, manufacturing, fast-moving consumer goods, etc. So, yeah, thanks for having me today. I wasn't uh, an analyst in my previous life, uh, like Josh, but yeah, hopefully have a, a, a unique slant from a from a commercial perspective on the on the cybersecurity industry. Well, as a general rule, you, you tend to speak to a lot more people than we tend to on a day to day basis. You know, we talk to customers a lot. Now, you sales guys tend to get a, a bit more of a broader view as to what's going on and what people are concerned about, and that's that's quite quite important in this particular industry you know if we need to try and figure out where the state of play is going to be it's really good to get views not only from people who are cybersecurity professionals who've been kind of living and breathing the building and maintaining of it but also people who've been doing what you guys have been doing which is kind of assessing need and getting in and talking to various different people from various different disciplines especially from people outside of infosec so it's absolutely brilliant to have you guys back on board. So legislation, there's been a few changes recently. Depending on when this goes live, we've had quite a significant change. But one thing that I always tend to say when uh, I, people approach me with the subject of legislation or compliance, it's all kind of similar kind of thing. You know, they say, why do we have to do this kind of stuff? Why am I being forced to do this whole set of security requirements, what's the deal? And I, I quite often have to say to them and explain to people, the reason we have legislation and the reason we have compliance like PCI DSS, ISO 27001, GDPR, whatever it may well be, is because people weren't doing anything in the first place. There was some incidents, some big incidents, or things are starting to get worse on the incident front. And it gets to the point where groups of individuals or organizations decide that enough's enough now. They have to start actually 
almost forcing people to, to comply with at least a minimum standard of security. We're seeing a lot of that, obviously, in the insurance industry at the moment. We've seen some, some big, significant court case battles who shall remain nameless, where the insurers have had to pay out because they couldn't say, oh, it was down to war, which really kind of didn't make any sense compared to what had been going on. But, you know, I've been dealing with legislation and compliance pretty much all my career. And I do actually remember a time when there really wasn't any. I mean, there was a few minor, very small laws. I've seen it kind of evolve over time and go from being literally nothing to kind of where we are now, where can't really walk anywhere without tripping over some form of legislation or compliance that you need to meet. What's your guys' opinions on it? You know, from an operational technology perspective, we see a couple more acts that are coming into force or in force, you know, the likes of NIST 2, IEC 62443, um, you know, compliance frameworks that customers um, are required to follow. I, I completely agree with you, uh, Jim. You know, it was the Wild West before. And I certainly, from a personal perspective, have noticed since the adoption of GDPR, you know, the number of unsolicited emails and calls I get has dropped significantly, right? Which, from a personal perspective, shows just, I guess, how acute the the issue and challenges were before and, and what was actually happening to our own personal data, let alone company data, and how that was being sold and, and shared from organization to, to organization. So I believe that legislation is key. I think there, my personal opinion is there's not enough across all industries, but where there is legislation and that's taking hold, we, we're seeing... Uh, we're seeing customers adopting technologies um, in the cybersecurity space to ensure that they are compliant. So uh, hopefully that continues. Hopefully more verticals bring in legislation for their specific verticals, like uh, we've seen with manufacturing and some of the OT legislation that's come in. And yeah, long may it continue. Yeah, I think some really interesting points raised. And maybe I'm going to talk to this more from the security side where yeah, I'll get out of the way early that because we, we're going to say at some point in this podcast that um, compliance doesn't always equal security. And I'm mm. sure we're going to talk about how it's it's improved um, over the years and maybe in the future we think it's going to improve further. But it is kind of, it, it's almost the minimum viable steps that you need to take. And there are definitely many too many tick box companies out there who just do enough to get by to appease the regulators, pass an audit, uh, make sure that people want to do business with them because they can display that nice shiny ISO badge um, on their website. And obviously the converse of that is then if you're really investing in security, you really are a security first mindset, you're going to accidentally become compliant um, all along. And all you need to do is hire an, an auditor to come and you know, find that out and, and dig into processes you already have that are there. So I think we're getting closer towards that security is aligning with legislation. I think there's a lot of challenges that you know, legislation takes a long time to write. You know, it gets drafted years prior, and then it takes a while to go through the various amendments and and the arguments that the people need to have. Um, that by the time it comes into force, sometimes or often, it's not always as current as, as it needs to be. Um, mm. So I definitely think we've seen more forward-thinking steps. You talked about GDPR there, uh, Keith. They included in... Um, I think it's Article 24, I think I've got written down here, yeah, where they said, look at the state of the art of, of security in relation to data protection on a regular basis. 
he had a good intentions at heart, but it's also very vague. And I've never really seen that being enforced by anyone. And when I used to engage in some sales discussions, it wasn't really one of those levers you could push. Whereas take PTI, for example, you, know, you need to have log management or you need to have some form of a web application firewall and sitting in front of your website. That was a good driver. So it's kind of that balance of how do you be forward thinking to make sure that we are constantly being secure and rewarding those companies who put security first um, versus those companies who called it a wild west. I still think there's an element of the wild west out there that we're doing just enough to make it seem like we're legitimate cowboys, but you know, peel it back and it's still a bit of a wild west out there. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd relationship that legislation, compliance, whatever you want to term it, actually has with the business world. I mean, being a consultant, I spend a lot of time with organizations going through that process and starting to, to look objectively at doing it. There's usually some kind of business driver behind it. They want to get into a specific type of business sector that requires it. You know, I've been a QSA myself for many, many years. I've seen many different iterations of, of PCI and a lot of the stuff and, and the way it's uh, kind of evolved over time. Uh, ISO is another one. I remember when it was BS7799. There's been a lot of movement, and I hear a lot of, of organizations in the past saying, and this always used to get me laughing, you know, uh, we want to take the pragmatic approach to secure, you know, to, to compliance, which normally translated as we really don't want to do it and we want to do the absolute barest minimum to tick that box. And sometimes you would get people saying, well, auditing is just a tick box exercise. And it was normally individuals who really didn't understand quite often to meet a standard or a legislation, you have to meet the intent behind what it's there to be, not it says I have to have a scene. Okay, well, I'll just buy a scene. Right, okay, but what are you doing with it? Are you utilizing it in the way that it needs to be utilized or are you, have you just bought it and it's just sat there doing nothing and you're not, not viewing anything coming out of it? Same with file integrity monitoring. You see that a lot as well. You know, Oh, we bought file integrity monitoring. Wicked. Are you looking at anything that's coming out of it? Yeah, on a six monthly basis well that's not meeting the intent behind having it you know you're meant to be detecting incidents and changes to files and that shouldn't be being changed and i think it's a bit of a difficult one when it comes to legislation because specifically because quite often as you say josh it's debated and debated and debated amongst lots of people who don't understand information security it reminds me a lot of the time when the internet had come out and everybody thought it was going to be a fad. Believe it or not, for those of you out there that don't remember a time before the internet, there was a time where people thought it was just a thing. And when people started realizing or government started realizing that it was a, a medium of communication that they didn't have any kind of level of control over, they said, well, we're just going to regulate the internet. They didn't understand that the internet wasn't just a box sitting somewhere in a data center or a computer room as we had back then. It was this ever-evolving thing that was spread out over, over many jurisdictions. And I think this is, this is some of the difficulties that we have today. We were just talking about the European Union, the drafting a new set of cybersecurity kind of rules for IoT and infrastructure that's going to be deemed as critical and so on and so forth. And that's just going to expand. But is that going to really you know, have to get dumbed down to the barest minimum possible? Or is it actually going to be something that's usable? Where are we going with this? I mean, what are you guys seeing? 
I think you can kind of understand a little bit of why the the, the lag or the hesitancy to regulate things, because you know, we live in a capitalist society where you want don't want to stifle growth. You want to enable it as much as possible, and you know, adding more red tape and and regulations can be a an opponent to innovation. But at the same time, I think we've kind of gone down that road and realised that that's failed. Now we're these cyber criminals are actually being able to reinvest the money that they gain. So you know, so and so gets compromised, they're out of business they reinvest that money, they get more sophisticated and everybody's now got to face a more sophisticated and more difficult challenge. But I think with with your your question there about moving forward with how we are now starting to be more prescriptive and be more, and maybe focusing on individual industries first, the financial sector is is a great one. I think that's the the one you alluded to there, the DORA, uh, Digital Operations Resiliency Act, is catching up with, right, 2008, we had the financial crash. We then put a load of, of... controls in place to make sure that people were more resilient, that they weren't allowed to create those kind of bubbles and whatnot. They had a few more checks in place. Now they're moving that over to cyber, right? How can we be resilient in a cybersecurity standpoint? Make sure that for the first time I'm seeing them saying it's about being able to get back up for your feet. You know, you're not just blocking everything and stopping everything. It's acknowledging what we always say, what I've heard sometimes called the, the cybersecurity nihilistic approach of you're going to get compromised. But it, it's it's the real realistic approach. You're going to get compromised and that's okay. And more incidents, more more compromises actually can be a positive thing because you're able to come back from them in, in a better position. I think the real positive step I saw, you asked, how do we do that? And how do we make sure it keeps moving forward? That The penetration testing was one that really stood out in that DORA, mandating that it's at least three times a year for critical financial institutions as well, critical infrastructure within financial institutions, as well as their critical third-party IT providers, yet to be clear exactly what that, who those people are yet. But friend testing, they're going to be always employing the latest tactics. They're going to find the latest holes mm. at least three times a year, hopefully more. And then they're going to advise you, look, here's what you need to do. But better yet, not here's what you need to do. Here's what we could have done because here's how far we got, right? Here's, here's what us in your email server siphoning out all of your the information on your deals. Here's us taking down your banking app so no one can access their money anymore. And everyone's rushing to your cash machines, you know, hypothetically, and pulling out the money. So I think that, that that's really one of the more positive future pooching stuff I've set, seen because it shows the risks and it actually demonstrates them to maybe decision makers who might be less compliance, legislation, cyber inclined, rather focusing on the bottom line and how they can grow and make money. But now they're starting to see that those two things actually go hand in hand. Keith? Yeah, um, if only we had a company uh, that we knew, hey, James, that could do continuous pen testing. Um, oh, yes, yes, the, the thing that we're doing soon. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, pen testing is is key, Josh. I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, but it's probably not done widely enough, in my opinion, um, across all verticals. Like I said, you know, previously, I think most verticals still have this head in the sand mentality, see compliance um, as a box ticking exercise. I guess that's largely due to the fact that a lot of these compliance frameworks, the organizations that are defining them and releasing them don't have the teeth to really pursue the organizations that are are non-compliant. And I see that as a big challenge when it comes to, you know, legislation that gets released personally a fan of legislation that's more industry or vertical focused rather than just more generic you know Jim you mentioned IOT the new IOT framework that's that's being released you know it's a, a very generic broad brush term IOT 
means different things to different verticals. You know, we, we sell a lot into the NHS and, and other healthcare organizations. IoT in those organizations is medical devices because that's what they are. They are essentially IoT devices. Could be anything from an ECG through to an ultrasound machine through to an IP camera, a door entry system, a fire suppression system. That's such a wide-ranging term and set, set of devices that I think where you have a legislation that's more focused, such as the Data Security and Protection Toolkit for the NHS, which has in there some elements around IoT or IOMT. I think that really adds a lot more value, in my personal opinion, than these broad brush legislation changes. But ultimately, they need to be enforceable. There needs to be an organization behind that that's monitoring, ensuring businesses are compliant, auditing, and if not compliant, then there there need to be ramifications for that. Whilst it's very easy just to tick the box, say we're you know we're working towards a solution, or we're in procurement in a procurement process, or there's loads of you know there's loads of, of ways and means of of getting around actually going and doing the hard yards, and and if a technology or a service is required, skirting around that. So, but yeah, look, pen testing. To my original point, I think I agree with with Josh on that. I think all, all organizations, all verticals should be mandated to do that at least once a year, right, to give you that visibility of, you know, where your risk vulnerabilities and, and, and ultimately holes in compliance reside. So, yeah, I guess that's that's it on the point. I think it'd be interesting to see if we ever get to a point where we're able to, to mandate implementing the outcomes of those pen tests as well and how you do that you know when does a pen test not become a sales tool to sell you loads of different solutions and, yeah. and you've got 20 different things and when does it actually and how do you know what's actually appropriate and and kind of in the best interests of your business but i know we've been accused of agreeing too much on this podcast before so i kind of wanted to ask a question uh, back to you guys of you know keith mentioned they're having different industry specific um some compliance standards is there a danger of us having too many compliance standards and having to adhere to too many things that it just becomes you know, unmanageable? If I may be so bold, Keith, I shall answer that one myself. I think, yes, you do. And it, it, can, it can really confuse things. I mean, most of the compliance models that we deal with at Razorthorn, and we deal with pretty much all of them at some point or another, we've HIPAA, Lexel, if you're in the legal side of things, PCI DSS, obviously we've discussed before, ISO 27001, so on and so forth. I could, I could list you a, a massive rattling list. All of them have very key similarities, but all of them have kind of key differentials. You know, they're all geared towards a specific data type. Some are a little bit more generic, like ISO, obviously, where you have to kind of identify your key data areas and key assets and so on and so forth. PCI DSS, more geared towards credit card information that kind of thing. I think we do have to, when we look at kind of legislation coming out of government bodies, I mean, I look at, I'll be honest, I'm going to probably say something a bit controversial here. I look at cyber essentials and I kind of laugh a little bit. It doesn't meet the, it doesn't meet the requirements of security for this day and age. And if we were to actually create a standard that would probably work for this day and age, Three quarters of the companies that are out there, especially the small ones, small and medium-sized businesses, they wouldn't be able to apply it. They wouldn't be able to afford to do it. They wouldn't even have people who would know how to do it, which is good for companies like myself, consultancies and companies like yourselves who supply the various different types of technologies that they need. 
but it, it means that that the cost of doing business raises to the extent where small and medium-sized businesses can't flourish because they've got too much legislation sitting there being forced upon them to even before they start making profit. And it's it's a bit of a problem. I see what I'd like to see legislation, and this will probably never happen, not in not in the short term at least. Security is so different depending upon the organization. It's so different depending upon what you're doing. Every organization is very different in the way that they apply their technology and the way that they manage their staff, the culture, and so on and so forth. I would like to see legislation where it says, you know, where it's a little bit more kind of generic in its focus, where it says, look, you need to have a security program. You need to be able to prove to a security professional that we have formed or a group or a group of organizations that we've legislated know about security. They know what good security is. They know what bad security is. They're going to come in and do a, a check on you and tell you, tell us whether or not you are meeting what's required from a security standpoint as is. Because we've discussed this like earlier on. Legislation takes years to write. Even like compliance bonds like PCI DSS, it used to be on like a three-year cycle. It's still kind of on that three-year cycle if you look at it objectively. I mean, it, it, yes, they can release updates and whatnot as, as what they want, but you still have to give time for organizations to, to, to change and update what they're doing to meet that requirement, whatever you do. So version four is coming out very, you know, it's already out, but comes into having to be done soon. But there's quite a bit of time to meet some of the newer objectives or some of the changes, significant changes to the objectives. So for a long period of time, you know, we're still running potentially at a level of risk. We're not, it's a difficult one. It's like, I would like to see legislation be be a little bit more fluid. Say, have a security program. Have somebody who who is responsible for security. Does your strategy meet what your business is there to do? Um, and you have to prove it with a security professional because there's plenty of us out there, very good ones. Okay, we've got a bit of a shortage at the moment, but we can walk into any organization with the relevant amount of training and the relevant amount of experience and say, actually, these guys are doing everything they can based on the budgets that they've got. They've got realistic budgets. They've got realistic technology backing up their people and their processes. They've got policies that they're doing audits on on a regular basis. They're doing their checks and tests. They've got technology that's actually doing what it needs to do based on the assets that they're protecting and the services that they're protecting. But I don't think that's going to happen because people like to have a defined approach of you will do this and you will pass or you won't pass if you don't do that. Yes, in PCI, you are seeing a bit of a change because they've, they've, they've moved their approach. You've got, now got an approach that organizations can do where they define how they are going to meet that particular control in their own way. There's still a lot of discussion in the QSA community of, well, how do we authorize, you know, what, what are the grounds where we can say, you know, it's being met and it's, it's, it's up to scratch? And who's liable if it's not or if they're not following it? Because, I mean, we talked about pen testing and, and Keith made a good point. You know, it's, it's a point in time thing. And unless you're doing continuous pen testing, no plug there, but unless you're, you, you're, you've got a good solid security strategy and testing process that you're doing on a, on a much, much more regular basis, Doing a pen test one, once a year might have worked five years ago, 10 years ago. Nowadays, things move so damn quick 
before you even know a vulnerable, you know, zero days out there, boom, there's there's people experiencing the horrors. Look at Log4j, for instance. I probably disagree to your initial point, at least. To the point, I think more legislation is required, my opinion. I don't think we're at a point where we have legislation fatigue, if we want to give it a term. I think there still are, as I mentioned, lots of verticals where more legislation is required, definitely. But also, I mean, I think organizations where multiple pieces of legislation or, or compliance frameworks apply, you know, should almost be mandated to take the most stringent of those legislation and apply them, those policies or frameworks and, and apply them. So, you know, they shouldn't have to comply with a number, but certainly the, I don't know who defines the most stringent, but but ultimately organizations should be looking to do as, as much as is possible from a, a cybersecurity perspective. So look, I guess the, the, the point is, I think more legislation is required and I don't think we're at a point where there's a, you know, saturation from a, from a legislation perspective, in my opinion, at least. Don't we run the risk, though, if we make it too difficult, if we make it too strict, that we'll actually have a mass revolt against that legislation? You know, I mean, we kind of saw it with the the, you know, the TLS versions, for instance, with PCI, where it was mandated that they would, you know, updates would occur. But there were so many organizations that bit back on that one and said, actually, you know, we, we can't do it in the timescales that you're telling us. We can't do it. So you're going to have to come back with, you know, a, a, a different approach. And it, it ended up getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. If we make it too difficult to do business, don't you face like, if you put, say, something on, say, pharmaceutical businesses, you must have this level of security and it's very high level, very strict, but it doesn't work for a majority of the big pharma. Surely they could just turn around and say, well, we're not going to do it. Yeah, I guess you always run the risk, but that's where being written into law, being mandated really comes in, right? You're not giving organizations the op- the option. It needs to be enforced. And, and if if organizations are not compliant, then there needs to be the ways and means of targeting those organizations. So yeah, I, I guess that, that is always that is always a risk. That is always but in my opinion, I would like to see the organizations that are defining and mandating this legislation and these frameworks do more. Sure, if we get pushback from the organizations, that's fine. But rather than doing less, which is traditionally what we've seen, bar for some verticals, you know, finance, obviously with PCI, DSS and various others, yeah. um, who really have, have led, the, led, the, led the charge here, I, I think most other verticals are, are not doing enough. Um, so I'd like to see more. And if we end up with pushback, then great. That's probably a better position than being where we are, where organizations have the ability to still, in some, some cases, uh, operate like the Wild West. Hmm. I think the, the middle ground that I'd like to see on that is, yeah, you're totally right, that it's not going to be suitable for ev- the same controls for every industry. So blanket regulations aren't going to work. But maybe we can find a, a happy medium where somebody, and I say somebody, someone centralized is able to say, look, all these regulations are actually the same. And if you comply to this one, you're ticking this box as well. So, you know, you do one control and you realize you're hitting five different compliance um, regulations or standards within it, rather than that being kind of left up to the organizations to work out and maybe kept in, as a secret in the hands of, of, of you know, legal consultants and so on. Because then, then we kind of run, we can achieve both aims of actually regulating for all the different parts of the of the organizations that we need to, but also making sure that it doesn't become too 
convoluted that it's actually unattainable for maybe organizations entering their space to to achieve. Yeah, it's a tough one because, uh, you know, I agree with both of you in many respects. I just think that we have to be really, really careful in the way that we do legislation. I'd like to see more infosec professionals brought in from various different walks of life who could be consulted on it because I kind of get the impression like they'll pick a small group of people. I mean, Razorthorn once at one point went for um, an RFP for like the UK IoT rules and regs. We didn't win one of those things. But it's one organization that, that kind of developed those. And it's like, well, why, why don't we get a wider group of, of perspectives to build a standard that works or find one standard that would achieve most of what everybody needs? Look at ISO, for instance. It's, it's very unilateral. It's a very unilateral kind of standard where you have to set your assets you have to uh, you have to do the work to understand your assets what you're regulating and what you're doing and you have to prove to the auditor that you're doing it obviously you know because we've got all kinds of different types of things we need to secure we've got critical infrastructure we've got ip we've got pharmaceuticals we've got transport we've got public services i mean if we have too many standards isn't that going to make things really really difficult the other challenge is is well, but it needs to be kind of a bit of global cohesion as well. And if you just look at, you know, I do a lot of work with um, the US. My company is a US company. And you know, look at the, the GDPR kind of stuff, the data protection. In the US, it's all about, you need to prove to us why we shouldn't have your data and why we shouldn't hold on to it. Whereas, as Keith said, top of the call, GDPR is all about, you, the organization, need to prove to me, the consumer or the user, why I should give you any of this and make sure you have all the things in place to look after it and delete it when you don't need it anymore. So that'd be interesting to see how we can, I know you, you, US is moving towards more like the, the EU and the UK, but yeah, that's another challenge that's represented by different legislations and them not necessarily being aligned, even though it is a global aim we're all really trying, trying to strive for. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess final thoughts are, look, I'm, I'm, I'm very much for legislation. I think what we have today is, is a good stepping stone. As I touched on earlier, I think we need more across all verticals. Yeah, it's always a tricky one, I guess, with small to medium businesses, which make up 52% of the GDP in, in the UK. So, you know, it's a, a very large amount of, of organizations. But I guess evidencing that they are doing what they can within their means, I guess, is, is the point you touched on, Jim, I think really is key. But, but ultimately, more legislation rather than less would be my, uh, would be my closing thoughts. And ultimately, hopefully that makes uh, the Internet and, and everything that we do online a, a safer place. You know? Hopefully it will. I mean, the, the, the other thing we have there, you could have a, a piece of legislation drafted in the EU, but then you have places outside the EU that might not support that, that exactly. legislation. And it, that's where it gets really difficult. I mean, that was part of the, 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 the difficulties I think PCI DSS had in the early days. And that's why they went to a contractual obligation rather than... Because if they would have tried to make it legal... They would have had to have gone to each state. They would have had to have gone to, to the federal side of things. They would have had to go to the UK government and all the different governments that, that make up our wonderful blue-green planet spinning around a, a yellow star. A lot more difficult to achieve. It would have, mm. And I don't know if they would have been able to in the long term. But no, that's, that's some really good insight, Keith. And, and thank you for, 
for coming in and, and you know, letting us know what your thoughts are. Uh, we'll be continuing on with Josh, but I'll quickly let Keith say his goodbyes. And Yeah, well, thanks thanks very much, and thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Cheers, Josh. Cheers, James. Thanks, Keith. Cheers, Good question as always. Right. Cheers, you too. Bye-bye. So there we go. More legislation. Um, <laughs> I think it's a tough one. I, I, I do genuinely think it's really, really tough. Too much legislation is going to cause a nightmare. Too little legislation, it's not going to happen. You know, whatever you do. You can't make it too complicated because smaller companies won't be able to do it and thus won't be able to survive uh, and grow to be yeah, larger companies. There's element there then, isn't there? It's, it, it, I mean, security is always one of those things that, that it has an economic impact on, a, on, a, on an organisation. And it's kind of hard to judge in some respects, what that impact is. Because, and one of the big problems we have in security is you spend all this money preempting your defense in depth to, to try to protect you against things that you could perceive could happen to you. But, uh, you know, it's hard to justify that spend if you never have an incident or you never have data saying that it protected you from something, you know. Yeah, and you're not you're not being rewarded until you have that incident. You're literally, um, well, it's like, you know, you can almost argue the waste of your resources that you're you're focusing where you could be piling your money into research and development. You know, sometimes people get lucky and they get by on the skin of their teeth without doing security for a while. Um, so yeah, you're, you're spot on with that. It's it's a tough one. I mean, you know, again, and one of the frustrations I had, especially with Cyber Essentials. I mean, when it first came out, I looked at it and I have to say, I was like, I did laugh a little bit. This is probably the the most basic I've ever seen of a of of a, of a requirement. Mm. But then I started thinking, well, you're trying to put some kind of rule set in, legislation in, compliance in, to the masses. And it, and it could be any company of doing anything from providing, I don't know, bleach to government departments to companies providing wholesale accountancy services like the, you know, the big four, that kind of thing. You know, that small company of mum and pop who supply certain types of supplies, they're not going to have the resources that one of the big four have to meet the standard. Admittedly, you know, Cyber Essentials is, is pretty pretty easy to, to meet. Yeah, well, I, I heard a friend of mine does some ditch consulting for tech firms said that I was asking him about the, the mobile device stuff because it's not really an air of touch doll. And he said, oh, you just have to send a screenshot that you've got a lock screen on your phone and uh, with a password and then tick. <laughs> so... Yeah, I think, but I guess the the other argument then is you, you alluded to it there that it's beginning. It's getting people to start to think about something with something that isn't completely over encumbering them that they can't continue, but that gets them to start to think about cybersecurity and lean towards a pathway towards these bigger uh, regulations like the ISOs, the SOC twos of the world, uh, and so on. But what about um, supply chain compromise? You know, I think I touched on how it's everyone's problem because criminals can reinvest this money and we talked a lot about compliance regulations but there's also the kind of legislation that is like is, is grand on it in the, on the government scale about like who are we being booted out of the critical infrastructure in the uk so they can't be in the telecom stuff we're more aware that we're interconnected and the risks that, that poses whether it's on a massive governmental scale or whether it's just you're doing business with this mssp or this uh, customer who might not take security as seriously and they have a legitimate avenue into your network well this is the problem though i mean you know how far down the 
the stack of service providers do you go? Because you may be de- dealing directly, I don't know, with, say, the home office. Let's use them as an example. And, and they will require you to regulate your third parties. You'll have a whole set of third parties that make up your business and will be supplying by proxy some, potentially some stuff on to the home office, but they're, they're providing you with stuff to do the business that you do that may have an impact and so on and so forth. And you keep going down back through that chain. Where does it end? And how far back, you know, you've got to rely on every step of that chain to be doing security in the right way. This is why I think sometimes maybe taking a slightly different view on how we do legislation or how we regulate may be a better option or try it at least. Mm-hmm. I, I researched this topic quite a lot, especially the, the DORA had, had got me back into this, the compliance and the legislation side of it. And I also do a lot of research onto the the kind of the state of, of cyber criminals and the, the prolific gangs, particularly ransomware gangs um, that are out there. And it kind of made me connect the two together about how we've historically done this, that it used to be, you know, let's look at murder as kind of an, an example of, of, a, of a crime that we all you know, know and has been around since the dawn of time. Um, there's always been a deterrent for, for murderers, right? You get ostracized, banished, you get maybe you know, executed back in ancient times or whatever. Or medals. That's that. Yeah, so that's um, that's there to make people think twice about you know going to commit such a crime, and so they don't go and do it. That that really hasn't worked in in cyber. We've seen attempts on it. I think the last really big one for me was the ransomware uh, families in 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 um, they were part of the national the attack on the uh, the pipeline, the, the colonial pipeline. That's yeah. what I was looking for in the US. So the US and Russia collaborated on that to. Russia handed over some of the people who were responsible for it, so they could take them to trial and kind of put them behind bars. Obviously, that global cohesion is, is needed and it's, it's broken down now. Um, so one, it was difficult. Two, did it really deter people? Because you can hide your tracks much easier than it is to cover up a murder <laughs> to keep that... that I, have, I, I have to admit, I have, I have no real confidence in law enforcement at the moment on catching hmm. cyber criminals. And, and I think in, in some cases... Okay, yeah, we've got people who are monitoring, you know, on a on a on a government level, but and this is a whole podcast in itself. I think in some cases a lot of these are just that they're, they're just they're not the people really doing this. They're not the really talented ones. Really yeah. good cyber criminals, you'll never know who they are. These these guys are I think some of half of them are patsies. I think half of them are people who just you know, if we hand over this, if we hand over this guy, and say it was this person, yeah, you know, I, it looks good. And we all know we're not we're not a one world order. I'm not saying we should have it for any of those conspiracy theorists out there about to come and beat me up in the comments. But we we don't have a universal, unilateral way of enforcing cybersecurity. We have to, you know, we've got different legislations in different locations. Yes, you could almost say if you want to work or you want to do business in the UK, you have to meet this set of legislation. Mm. But well, let, let's let's look at the the, the black hat, the, the big cybersecurity expo that I think normally happens in Las Vegas. Back twenty years ago, the FBI were waiting for people to come off planes so they could arrest them and charge them for all the things that they they thought they did. Nowadays, the FBI uh, and and has a stall on black hat trying to recruit those people. Those people, so you can see how it's flipped. They want those skills instead. It's the same skills that black hats have, so that the bad hackers versus the white hats, the kind of defensive people. 
But they've done that for years. Look at Frank Abagnale. You know, he life was portrayed, obviously, not not totally, but, you know, it was Hollywood, but catch me if you can. Yeah. You know, massive, really, really good at, at the larceny he conducted. Did, it took him years to get caught. And when he got caught, you know, the FBI turned around and said, oh, could you spot? Yeah, what's what's I think it was it was kind of immortalized at the end where he's been brought in after a bit of time in the in the in the clink, as we term it in the UK. And he said, you know, what do you think of this? And the, he's sort of saying, Oh, I think it's a teller who's, you know. Uh, yeah, you're always gonna get that. And of course, any talent, really talented criminals getting caught in this space, in the cybersecurity space, they'll be in front of somebody from one of those four-letter yeah. organizations. <laughs> They're not going to waste that talent. They'll, they'll utilize the fact that they've been caught to say, well, why don't you work for us and we'll make your life a little bit better rather than spending time watching out in the showers in a maximum security prison. But, you know, again, I, I find this difficult when it comes to, to legislation because... I, I don't know a how you're going to unilaterally agree on it because we can't agree on the be- you know even at the best of things. Mm-hmm. You know, look at what's going on in the world at the moment. We're all taking various different actions, and various different countries are saying various different things. So, meeting you know creating a universal standard for cybersecurity isn't in feasibly the best interest of all of those uh, nation states anyway because they don't want you to have the so you know a, a good level of information security. Yeah, which which I think is that's where I see cybersecurity legislation going in a good way. We tried the deterrence, we tried to do the, the the laws against the people. It's such a gray area, as you said, which is kind of why I was drawn to it because that's what I liked about law when I was studying it. I wanted to find those loopholes. Turns out most of those have been ironed out over hundreds of years and so on. But cyber is really gray. So if we can't catch these people, we can't do attribution. I think we tried insurance. You know, maybe let's just insure it. So if it goes wrong, you can be back up on your feet. That didn't work. But now it's it's more onto resilience, right? And to use that murder analogy, we can't punish the murderers. Now we're saying everyone walk around with stab-proof vests and helmets on, which is, you can see why it took us a while to get there because it's not the most logical thing to do as humans. We want to stop the bad guy rather than go and protect ourselves more. But now we're at there, I feel, where we actually are taking more precautions to make sure we can withstand attacks more importantly, we can get back up on our feet and be resilient to attacks if we are taken down and be back up and running with, with little to no impact. Well, that's that's the whole part of that process. And that's what I think, as we talk through it, I become more supportive about having a an agency that, that will go and look at an organization or what they're doing, like a consultant will. What are you doing with your information security? Run me through your strategy. Run me through what you're doing. Run me through how you've assessed what you need, not like a PCI audit or ISO audit or anything like that. Maybe a little bit more like an ISO, but not even, I don't like the word audit in this case. It's mm. it's like, look, you're at a certain level, you're providing a certain amount of support to some very significant organizations or critical infrastructure, whatever. Run me through your security process. Because as I said right at the beginning, the way that you handle security in different organizations is different. You know, your organization that you work for now, you know, you will have a set of assets and a set of revenue streams that are important to you. That even if you went to another organization and worked for Fortra, but your competitor, you may have similar requirements, but they won't be exactly the same. I mean, you'll have standard stuff like GDPR, which we all Mm -hmm. have to adhere to, but 
it'll be a whole different plethora set of, of requirements. And rather than kind of setting a single legislation that says, you must do this, you must do that, I just would prefer it if it was like, right, here is a guideline of what we want from a security program. This is the kind of stuff we expect to see. You will have somebody come in and do a review of you and they will assess based on their knowledge base and they have to have obviously reach a certain level yep. and be qualified to a certain level as well who will look at you objectively and then will make a decision and make a report based on that. Of course, the problem you have then is bribery because um, you've got to make sure that your staff aren't being bribed by especially the big business. <laughs> oh, could you come in and just sign us off, please? And and you'll get a, you know, there'll be a cab waiting for you to take you back to your hotel room. Keep an eye on the, the, the you know, the seat because I think somebody left something in there. If you could just hold on to that for us. All right. Okay. Yeah. I'll get in that black cab. Not that this happens at all in the past with a nice big brown envelope that gets returned back to, oh yeah, I found the envelope with your blank piece of paper in. Here it is, minus the 100 grand set of crisp notes that were sitting in it. I mean, you know, you you run the risk of that. So you've, you, But I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. And in many respects, I'd love Keith to be right. Yeah. But I think it's going to be more harmful than good in the long run if we just go too nuts with the legislation and different types. I mean, it'd be, it'd be confusing for us if we yeah. had like five to meet. It already is a little bit tricky. I mean, it took a while. I've been going through the Dora stuff with a while with a team of people and you know, it's, it's, there's what they write and then there's what it will actually end up being, you know, what actually gets enforced. That's always GDPR is a perfect example of that. Everyone was kind of running around like headless chickens because of these seemingly over-prescriptive rules you had to follow and then and even it was for everyone it was for the mom and pop shops it was for it was for schools it's for anyone so then in actuality look at who actually got fined and taken to court over it that's really who they were trying to enforce so james it seems like this is the second podcast where we've come to uh, a solution which is calls for some sort of like council of cybersecurity superheroes to uh, come in and help out everybody objectively I just think that we could do this better. I mean, I've been involved with uh, a group called the CSFI, the, the Computer Security Forum Initiative, for a long time now. And, and they do a lot of kind of stateside stuff. And I got involved in the early days and watching how they provide advisories to relevant groups and individuals um, over in that neck of the woods. I just think we could do something like that here. There's far too many people, in my opinion, doing legislation that don't know the subject matter hard you know, enough to make a deliberation or they're selecting people who are making it too hard. This is why, why don't we get a think tank, invite-only think tank of different people from different stages in their career, but all professionals, you know, um, from different organisations, give them a little bit of something to, to, to say thank you, maybe a bit of a tax break, and say, help us build a standard that works either universally or do, you know, join the, you know, help us reg- get create a group that's regulated of people who can go out and, and look objectively at organisations and say, yes, you are meeting the intent behind the legislation because intent behind, the, you know, the standards, what you hear a lot with PCIs, what you hear a lot with ISO, when it comes to law, it's a bit different. Obviously, you, you either, you're either going against the law or you're not. But there's a massive grey area even in some of those, you know, in some standard laws that we have. You've, you've been a lawyer. I mean, 
you know, there are situations where you can argue around an event to frame it in a different way that you didn't actually break a legal precedent or it becomes grey. Yeah. And it, it is only when you have those those scenarios when you go to court, you know, news that takes a bit of funds behind you as well that you actually find out what the law is. And it's the strength of why it keeps on adding to itself and def- redefining itself and being interpreted in the spirit that it was written is something you often hear. But also, as you say, it can be, you know, it's, it's not a privilege that everyone can get to do to go and challenge these types of legislations um, in, with, oh, I've got a better way of doing it. Um, so, you know, well, I'm going to do this. Um, but I think, as you say, we're, we're getting closer towards that. And I think it's it's realizing that these aren't necessarily punitive measures that are put in place that set to punish you and, and make a quick buck, like maybe you might see parking fines uh, to be. But this is something that is, you know, for lack of a, I haven't got a better than a cheese, cheesy term, it's for the greater good, right? That we all need to to strive towards. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, it sounds like we need to, you know, possibly do a, a return to legislation, you know, um, podcast and kind of see where we're going over the next couple of months and see how this pans out and then maybe return, maybe get some feedback. Any of you out there who want to provide your insight and feedback, if you're an InfoSec professional, please feel free to do so. I think this is this this merits a much wider debate. I don't know. It's a tough one. I, I don't know how to uh, how to, to to fix it. Just need to keep on talking about it, keep on making it top of mind, and and I do feel that there's progress here. I, I really do. So let's let's keep striving forward. I think I think there is, but I just worry about who's who's drafting these requirements. At least with PCI DSS, because it's a commercial thing, they do bring in different companies to be a part of that whole process. Who will look at that standard as it's going through its development process and go, actually, this this requirement you're you're talking about putting in doesn't actually necessarily work for everybody can we alter it or whatever but hey i i you know yeah well you know where to find me for the next one (laughs) yeah well i think we're gonna have to and uh i might get one or two other people on board who can provide some insight as well um there's a lot i think there's a lot of different disciplines here that that will have a lot of different ideas it'll be interesting to explore that but Josh, thank you ever so much for for coming on board. Thanks to to Keith as well. He had to duck out a little bit early on this one. I think we will have to return to this at some point soon. Yeah, it's not going to go away. But yeah, always, always a pleasure. Have a great day and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Rosewire podcast. If you like the podcast, if you love the podcast, please feel free to subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch. Thank you very much and have a great day.